Thanks for listening to the Collective Church Podcast. Collective is a church for the rest of us, which means if you have never been to church, walked away from church, or are struggling to find a church to connect with, you belong here. As of March 7th, you can join us in person on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. at our new church home at 5103 Pegasus Court. You can also continue to watch online on Facebook or through the Church Center app. Either way, we hope you join us. Now, let's check out Sunday's message. Before we get started today, I just want to let you all know how much I love this church. Uh, My wife and I got to go away for a few days last weekend, and I watched CT's sermon on YouTube, and you all clapped uh, when he told you that my management team sent us away to get a breather. So that means you're glad I was gone or glad we were getting a breather. I'm taking it as the latter. Uh, But that truly means a lot to me and Ray to know that I get to lead a church that actually cares about my well-being is wonderful because I have worked at churches before where people walked all over the pastor and their staff, where they felt like they were entitled to complain about every little thing they didn't like, when they got upset when the pastor or the staff or leaders had boundaries and enforced them. And last week was just a reminder that you all aren't those people and Collective isn't that church. So thank you. Um, This job is extremely hard, but when the seats are full of thoughtful, caring, selfless people like you, this job is incredible. So thank you. All right, enough bragging about you. Come on now. Um, As you came in today on your seat, you probably noticed a brown envelope that was there. Don't open it yet. I always joke, like, extroverts have already opened it. Like, okay, extroverts, we get it. You can't handle yourselves in public. All right, introverts are, like, afraid to touch it. What we we want you to do is we want you to actually hold on to that. Um, Just put it in your pocket or your purse. Just hold on to it for a later time. Um, This card is meant to be an encouragement to you because there's going to come a time in the next week or month or year when you need to pick me up, um, when you need a reminder of God's promises. And so we want you to hold on to that card. And when you get to that moment, it could be today, uh, open it up and uh, check it out. For today, we're going to look at a promise that might be the hardest to believe because it's a promise for the future. Because it's one thing for me to promise my daughter that we're going to watch Frozen when she gets home from school. And it's a whole other thing to promise that we are going to go to Disney World at some point because we've made that promise to her two years ago. And it was actually more like, I'm sure we'll go to Disney World someday. But in her head, she heard, I promise you that we will bring you to Disney World very soon. So she talks about it all the time. And she tells her little sister Harper about it all the time. And she dreams about the scenarios that she'll experience when she's there all the time. And then she gets disappointed when she asks if we're going next week. And we have to say no. We used COVID as the excuse for the first year. We don't have that anymore. So we just got to tell the truth. It's going to be a while. And the truth is, it's hard for Elise to really grasp the promise because it's for the future, right? We will fulfill it when we're able to. And it's just like the promise that we're talking about today. It actually comes from part of the speech that Jesus gave to his disciples, his 12 closest followers, before he was arrested, tried, beaten, and put up on a cross. And this is how he closes out that speech in John 16, starting in verse 16. He says, in a little while... You won't see me anymore, but a little while after that, you will see me again. Now, if you read the Bible on a regular basis, one of the things that you'll realize is that Jesus kind of talked in riddles. 
And it wasn't to confuse people or anything like that, but when you read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and the biographies of Jesus, there will come times when you pause and think, was he just messing with people? And the truth is, the answer might be yes. He says, in a little while, you won't see me anymore, but then you'll see me again. Some of the disciples asked each other, what does he mean when he says, in a little while, you won't see me, but then you'll see me, and I am going to the Father? And what does he mean by a little while? We don't understand. And I love that the disciples don't want to admit out loud that they have no idea what Jesus is talking about. When I was in college, I had a professor named Dr. Helsebeck who taught church history. And I'm not going to lie, I never read the books that he assigned to me, ever. And one morning I was in class and we're having a discussion that I knew nothing about, but apparently my fake confidence was enough for him to call on me and to ask me who a king was during a very important time in church history. And I had no clue. Honestly, it was a 9 a.m. class. I was a freshman. I rarely understood what he was talking about. So I would just like smile and nod and pretend like I was taking notes the whole time when I was writing down nothing. And he called on me to finish the sentence. He says, and the king was, and I stared at him. And I started to think through every king I'd ever heard of. King Kong, <laughs> King Triton, King Mufasa, King Arthur, Burger King. And I'm looking at him, I'm like, um. And he keeps agging me on. He used to do this thing where he'd look at you and like, he, like he's gonna pull it from you. He's like, come on, you know it. It's on the tip of your tongue. And it wasn't. It really, it really wasn't. So then he points to the guy next to me and says, just look at him. Just look, look. And finally he gave up and he said, it's William of Orange. And there was no way I was going to guess that. Oh, and the clue he gave me is when he pointed to my friend Jonathan was Jonathan was wearing an orange shirt. And apparently that was enough for you to know who he was talking about. And I feel like this is what the disciples were feeling. Right? They're just completely lost. And Jesus saw this. Jesus realized they wanted to ask him about it. So he said, are you asking yourselves what I meant? And I can just imagine one of them speaking up and saying, no, I totally understand, but you probably need to explain it to Peter because he's kind of dumb, like he doesn't get it. But in full parent mode, Jesus just repeats what he already said. I said, in a little while, you won't see me, but a little while after that, you'll see me again. Yeah, cool, 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 cool. Thanks, Jesus. But then Jesus said something they all could grasp. He said, I tell you the truth. You will weep and mourn over what is going to happen to me, but the world will rejoice. And so here's the first part of the promise that we're talking about today. There will be sadness. There will be sadness. Jesus promises that if you follow him, there will still be weeping and mourning. And this goes against some people's thinking of what it means to follow Jesus, right? Where they believe that once you start doing that, everything is going to be perfect. And it won't. It can't. That's just not a reality. And this isn't like sadness because your team lost. This isn't sadness because your favorite coffee shop closed. This isn't sadness because you got a lower grade on the test than what you'd hoped for. This is deeper than that. This is sorrow. This is weeping and mourning. And there are some people who believe, and there are some pastors and churches who teach, that when you come to God, everything is going to work out just great for you. But God did not spare his own son from death. And just looking around this room and knowing some of your stories, I know that some of you have experienced sorrow. You have lost parents that you loved at an age that just isn't fair. 
You've lost jobs after your boss told you that you could trust them and put down your roots just to have it all swept out from underneath you. You've watched as your marriage fell apart because of a spouse's lies. You've suffered miscarriages and destruction and betrayal. You have experienced real pain. I was listening to a podcast this week and one pastor said it like this, bad things don't happen to good people, bad things happen to people. See, we have this idea that when you follow Jesus, things will go easy and things will go well. But if you actually think about it, when you follow Jesus, you'll often experience more grief and more sadness than a typical person. And here's why. If you don't believe in God and you don't follow Jesus, when bad things happen, you just kind of write it off as life. Or maybe you say it's karma or you blame the full moon or something, right? It's just another bad thing that happened and then you try to move on. But when you follow Jesus, you believe that God is a God of justice. Because part of becoming a Christian is that you believe that Jesus fulfilled the demands for justice when he died on the cross to pay the debt that our sin creates. When you follow Jesus, you believe that God is a God of unconditional love. So when you're a Christian, you see injustice or a lack of love in our world and in our life, and you know that's not how it's supposed to be. Right? You know that God is supposed to fix this. In fact, people who follow Jesus believe that one day injustice will be eradicated. Love will rule the day. Everything will be set right. Those are other promises that God makes. So in the meantime, it's frustrating, right? It's frustrating right now. I mean, let's talk about what happened in the past two weeks in Atlanta and Boulder. What happened in those cities should bother you. It should bring weeping and mourning, right? It should bring pain to your heart. Racism should bring pain to your heart. Murder should bring pain to your heart. And this isn't political, right? If you want to have a conversation about politics, we can. It's not going to happen here. It's not going to happen while I'm preaching on this stage. So if you want to make loving people a political thing, that's your agenda, not mine. But anytime you hear of injustice, anytime you see hate, anytime people lose loved ones to senseless violence, that should give you a heavy heart, right? They may not be directly impacting you, but if you follow Jesus, it all impacts you. Right? There will be sadness. But Jesus continues, you will grieve, but your grief will suddenly turn to wonderful joy. And on a higher level, Jesus is talking about his death and resurrection. Right? You will grieve that I die, but then you'll have joy when I rise from the dead. So really, this promise hinges on the resurrection. That's the biggest promise that Jesus ever made. And we're actually going to finish up this series next week on Easter as we talk about the fact that the greatest promise Jesus ever made was that he would conquer death. And fulfilling that promise was the fulfillment of all the promises that he made. But for today, this is the promise. This is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, your sadness will turn to joy. Now let's talk about joy for a second. So the Bible doesn't teach that joy will only come in the future. And likewise, the Bible doesn't teach that you'll experience full joy right now, like it only that way. It's kind of both. And let me explain. I think a lot of Christians misunderstand and miscommunicate scripture about the idea of joy. Because a lot of Christians have told me in my life from stages like this or in person one-on-one -on -one, that you should always be full of joy. 
all the time, no matter what. But check this out. The New Testament mentions joy 92 times. 40 of those times, almost half, are about a present joy, right? It's here, it's now, it's not going away. 1 Thessalonians 5.16 says, always be joyful. But 25% of the time in the New Testament talks about joy. It talks about a future joy that you will have one day. 2 Timothy 1 says, and I will be filled with joy when we're together again. 2 John 1 says, for I hope to visit you soon and talk with you face to face. Then our joy will be complete. See, John, who wrote this, is saying, I can't experience full joy right now until I see you again. And a lot of you have been told that you should always, even if you experience sorrow, be completely full of joy, no matter what, never a sad face. And you right now aren't sure if you are following Jesus the right way because you have sorrow. And the truth is we often picture life as a series of hills and valleys, right? Good times and bad, we either have joy or sorrow. Someone once explained it to me like this. He said, a better picture of life biblically is as if you're standing on two rails of a train track. One trail or one rail is joy. And like 1 Thessalonians says, we're always full of joy, right? I always have Jesus. I always have grace. I am always loved by God. That joy is not going away. But the other rail is our sorrow. And what we find is that we're standing on both at the same time, right? So you make the grade, but then you don't have a date for prom, You have a baby, but your siblings are getting divorced. You got the job, but your dad still won't say that he's proud of you. Your friend got baptized, but your other friend won't talk to you. And the truth is we experience both at the same time. And what we see in scripture is that we have a present joy that doesn't go away, but there are times when we are waiting for our joy to be made complete. Life is not as simple as hills and valleys. It's train tracks that one day we'll meet at the throne of God. And so Jesus says, your grief will suddenly turn to wonderful joy. And here's what jumps out to me when he says that. It doesn't say that Jesus will replace our sadness with joy because that's often what we think, right? Like if our friend had a bad day at work, we take them out to dinner or we take them out for a drink, just something to get their mind off of their job because we want to replace their sadness with joy. But that isn't what Jesus is talking about. He says, I am going to take your sadness and turn it into joy. In other words, the very thing that makes you sad is going to bring you joy. And that's the key. Because a lot of things in life can replace your sadness with joy, right? You can go on vacation or buy a new house or a new car, and that will replace that sadness for a little while. But Jesus's goal is to turn your sorrow into joy, Jesus explains it like this. He says, it will be like a woman suffering the pains of labor. When her child is born, her anguish gives way to joy because she has brought a new baby into the world. So Ray and I have two kids, and this makes complete sense to me. Uh, For both of our children, Ray decided not to get an epidural and forever proved that she is tougher than I am. She reminds me all the time, it's true. Uh, Now, if you're a single guy, you might not understand what I'm talking about, but they actually have medicine that they can give you so that you don't experience the full pain of childbirth. And as long as there are no complications with the pregnancy, it's a choice that can be made. Essentially, it's do you want to feel the most excruciating pain of your life or do you want to feel nothing at all? 
And for both Elise and Harper, Ray chose not to use pain medicine. She chose the most excruciating pain of her entire life. And there were moments when the pain was at its, at its peak that she contemplated giving up. There were moments when I could see that the pain was unbearable for her, when she was suffering. But the moment our girls were born, it was no longer about pain. It was about joy. And the tears weren't coming from a place of anguish, but happiness. And the joy she had was greater than the pain that she experienced. Whatever is causing you sadness, Jesus says that that's going to bring you great joy one day. And the struggle is that we don't understand this, right? We're like the disciples. We think, what do you mean by a little while? What do you mean that our grief will turn to joy? What are you talking about, Jesus? And the thing is, you're thinking the same thing because I'm talking about childbirth and that's great, but you're running through scenarios in your head that have brought you grief or sadness and you're thinking, I don't understand how this pain I am feeling will turn into joy. And do you know what? I don't know either. I really don't. I don't know. I don't know how that diagnosis can result in joy. I don't know how that sexual brokenness can result in joy. I don't know how that failure over and over and over again can result in joy. So today, I don't have five keys of turning your sadness into joy. I don't have it. But what I do have is Jesus and this promise, right? And he doesn't owe us anything, but he keeps his promises. And I know that some of you are struggling with this right now because you want God to answer the question, why? You want God to tell you how. And I totally feel that. Right? I trust Jesus and his promises, but when I experience tough times, when I experience sorrow, I ask why. Why am I going through this? Why is this happening? When I see something that brings weeping and mourning, I ask how. How does this pain have a purpose? How are you going to make things right? But Jesus doesn't explain the how or why your sadness will be turned to joy. He just promises that it will. And like we talked about in week one, faith is trusting God's promises hold true even when things are hard. You have to have faith. You have to believe that God is good, that he won't abandon you, that he loves you, that he has a purpose for you. And that because we believe all those promises are true, he can and will turn your sorrow to joy you just have to trust him and not lose faith in that. In fact, jumping back a few verses, Jesus actually starts this part of his speech by saying, I have told you these things so that you won't abandon your faith. Jesus understands that when times are tough, it's easy to lose faith. It's easy to forget his promises. It's easy to put your trust in something other than God. And so Jesus is reminding his followers that when times are tough, don't abandon your faith, rather hold on to his promises. And some of you are experiencing sorrow. Some of you are looking at this world right now and seeing so much brokenness and wondering why. And the truth is you're trying to find joy in things other than Jesus. And if that's you, I'm just gonna be really real with you right now. You won't find it. 
Maybe, maybe there'll be temporary happiness. Maybe you'll have a temporary hope. Maybe there's a temporary joy that you can find outside of Jesus, but it won't last. It won't last. And for those of you who are trying to fill your sorrow with other things, you will never find what you were looking for. And I'm sorry, but that's true. And if you are being honest with yourself, you know that. So if you want real joy, it starts with Jesus, right? It starts with faith. And faith isn't about being perfect. Faith isn't about knowing everything. Faith isn't even about being doubtless, right? It's simply trusting that God's promises hold true even when things are hard. And when you are ready to choose that joy, the real joy, then what we do at Collective is we celebrate that when you publicly declare that through baptism. Next week is Easter, and we're already gonna be celebrating two baptisms, two people that have realized that there's nothing in this world that can bring them real joy outside of Jesus, two people who are ready to put to death their old selves and their old lives and be made new again. And truth is, there really isn't a better time to celebrate that than Easter. And so if you are ready to take that next step, you've been searching for joy in other places, we want you to check the baptism box in your digital connection card, and Dan and I will follow up with you today about setting that up. Now, I wanna jump uh, to the end to show you how this speech played out because while joy will come later, Jesus actually teaches us that we can have peace right now. Skipping ahead a few verses, this is how the disciples responded to what Jesus was saying. They said, now we understand that you know everything and there's no need to question you. From this, we believe that you came from God. Did you catch that? They didn't say, now we know everything. In fact, they're probably still very confused. They said, now we know that you know everything. And there is a big difference. See, I I personally, I want to understand everything, but the disciples in a moment acknowledge that Jesus knows it all, right? This is a moment of spiritual maturity for them. And it's a moment of faith, right? We don't have to understand everything We just have to know that God does. So the lesson today isn't about why bad things happen. Rather, you can be comforted that Jesus knows everything. He is God. So when he promises us that our sorrow will be turned to joy or any other promise that he makes, we can believe him because he knows how it plays out. And that should bring us peace. Check this out. This is the verse we read all the time at Collective, John 16, 33. I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. So your sadness will be turned to joy in the future, but you can have peace right now. Peace because even though you don't know what the future holds, Jesus does. It's kind of like Googling what happens in a show so that you can have peace about the dramatic moment that you just watched. Is that just me? All right, that's fine. You can judge me for that. I don't care. When I watch television shows, if something intense happens, I will Google it because I want to know the outcome so I can better enjoy the show. I want peace, right? So Ray and I, we just recently finished a show called Jane the Virgin. It's incredible if you haven't watched it. But before we started it, I knew there were twists. Ray made me promise that I wouldn't Google anything. And I didn't. And if you know anything about the show, it's nuts, right? No spoilers, but what you think is going to happen doesn't happen and then then happens and then doesn't happen. 
And there are two huge and intense moments in the show that happened. And when that, when that happened, I wanted to Google it because I wanted to know what would happen next. Right? I wanted peace, but I promised her I wouldn't. And so I was anxious. The end. I was like walking around my living room watching this show. That's why I Google things. And I think this is what Jesus is talking about. He says, we can have peace now because we know that Jesus knows. Jesus knows what we're going through. Jesus knows the pain you feel. He knows the sorrow that you're holding on to. And you can have peace because you know that Jesus is going to turn your pain into joy. And I want to explain how he's going to do it. And I know some of you are thinking, how can he redeem my circumstances? She cheated, he lied, systemic injustice. They turned their back on me. I'm trying as hard as I can and I don't know I don't know. I don't know how he's going to do it, but I do know that Jesus will. And I do know that Jesus turned his own death into joy. So it gives me peace that I know that he knows how it all plays out. Right? I'm still gonna have sorrow. My joy might not be complete for a while, but I have peace right now because I know that he knows. Jesus has told you the outcome. You will have joy. Therefore, if the sickness never goes away, you know the outcome. If she never comes home, you know the outcome. If you never get married, you know the outcome. What's the outcome? Joy. And I don't know how, I don't have a special thing to give you, but Jesus does. And I don't know what is bringing you sadness, but I know that Jesus promises that for people who put their faith in him, that sadness one day will be turned into joy. And it might not be today, might not be tomorrow. Honestly, it might not even be on this side of eternity, but it will happen. And I don't know how he's going to do it, but I know that he knows. And all he's asking you is to have faith in him. Belief that Jesus is who he says he is and will keep his promises. And if you choose to have that faith, the result is peace now because you know that he knows and that he loves you. Let's pray. God, there's a, there's a lot of sadness um, in this room. God, there's a lot of sorrow and a lot of pain uh, that people are experiencing right now. God, there's just a lot of hurt. We wake up in the morning and, and read the news and there's more pain and there's another shooting and there's more attacks. And God, every single day, I think our heart feels a little heavy. God, whether that's from things that are happening directly to us or just things that we're seeing in this world. And so God, we are praying and hoping that you turn that sadness that we feel into joy. God, God I'm praying right now for our church, for the people that are here, for the people that will watch this later, for the people online. God, I'm praying for those people to hold on to your promise when you say you will turn our sorrow into joy. And God, we recognize that it might not be today and it might not be this year, but God, us holding on to that promise brings us peace. And ultimately, God, that's what we want. God, you are a God of peace. God, we know when we feel peace, your presence is in our life. So God, help us have more of that. God, help us see... Um, 
how you are turning these sad things and the weeping and the mourning into joy that really only can come from you. God, help us hold on to that. God, for those people listening today that are trying to find joy in other things, whether they're young or old or never followed you or trying to figure out how to follow you, God, for the people that are putting their joy in other things, material things, the worldly things, God, we know, we know that it'll never be real. God, that it's a moment moment that will go away, that it's fleeting. So God, I pray for people who are trying to find joy in other things, God, ultimately, um, they put it in you. And God, next week as we celebrate how you conquered death, these aren't just promises that we tell ourselves, but promises that we believe and hold on to. God, thank you for the ways that you love us. Thank you that you will turn our sorrow into joy. We love you and pray these things in your name. Amen.